Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. All right, good to have everybody here this evening. Good to see you on this beautiful, cool summer evening, right? All right, I already see fans going, so I will try to not make this short. See how how I tried to set you up there? All right, all right. Good to have everybody again. Good to see you. Um, If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians. I'm sorry, not Ephesians. Revelation chapter 2. We will get to Ephesians, um, mostly because there is so much about the church at Ephesus. I don't know if we're going to get past it. So, y'all, hold on. We may be in Revelation from now on until the rapture happens. Okay? Uh, Which, by the way, Mark is wearing a shirt. I'm going to have to steal from him. It says... um, in the event of the rapture, you can have this shirt, right? <laughs> we'll get into the rapture uh, later. Uh, I, really want to, I really want to take a little bit of time uh, in the churches that he speaks to because there is something very important in every one of the churches that he speaks to. There's a very important reason why he calls these churches out why he wants to talk to them, what's going on in those churches. Um, It's a very important lesson that we, as the church in the body of Christ, uh, that we need to learn. And if we can learn learn what he is saying to these churches and do them, then you know you're going to be on the right foot with him. Um, If you will, you know, whenever I played sports, the coach would always come up with a game plan. And the game plan was almost always based on the, whoever the opponent was. He would scout them. We would scout them. We would watch video. We would watch. That was back in VHS days where you had to fast forward and rewind. Kids have no idea what that means. Uh, but we had to, back in those days, we'd watch the tape. And he would, he would fast forward and then he would rewind. And then he'd say, now watch this. And we'd watch it and rewind. Now watch this. Rewind. We watched it like 50 times. Watch this. Watch this. And we would do that to learn uh, kind of the game plan that was going to counteract what the enemy, the opponent, was doing. Um, if you, when you read through the, the seven churches, you're going to see how the enemy is trying to work in those churches very clearly. But Christ has a game plan. Amen. Uh, Christ has that same game plan for us. In fact, that is one of the main reasons why he told uh, John to write to the seven churches. is to say to them, I've got this game plan for you and I want you, I want you to be successful. I want, you to, I want you to do some good things. I want you to grow closer to me. I want you to be an influence. I, he's got a game plan. Um, while those were churches literally then, I think it's also speaking to churches today and the things that we face today. Every single thing that they're facing, every single thing that they're going through, um, we're, going, we're going through it. Uh, we, in some way, form or fashion, are going through it. In fact, some of this 
may come about a little bit more. Um, uh, everything, especially spiritually, is cyclical. Um, everything in this world goes in cycles. God created it that way. A year is a cycle. A day is a cycle. Um, time itself is a cycle. Everything is cyclical. Seasons, um, the will of God, the, is, you see it in Scripture. Um, so what that means simply is this. The way that the church birthed in, the, in the, the times and the seasons that the church was birthed in, guess what? It's going to come back around. Okay? It will come back around. We're seeing some of that now. Uh, we're seeing some of that now. Maybe it's not like it was back then to that same point, but we are seeing some of the same things. We're seeing some of the same spirits. Uh, we're up against some of the same things that they were up against. So without further ado, let's dive into the game plan that God has for you, for me, on how to be an influence, how to be successful as a church, as a body of believers. But that body of believers is made up of individual believers. And so if the individual believers take this seriously and do what God says, then it's going to make the whole body stronger. It's going to make the whole body better. It's going to make the whole body more of an influence. And that is exactly what we need in today. Okay, here we go. Ephesians chapter 2. I said it again. Revelation chapter 2. Talking about Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles, and are not, and have found them as liars. And you have persevered, and have, and have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. So that's not a bad track record, right? If that was a quiz in the school, I'd go, so far I'm looking pretty good. Right? If this is a test in school so far, I'm passing all right. Um, but then you have this nevertheless. And I don't want you to take this to uh, the point where you think Jesus is shaking his finger in their face, but I want you to remember that Christ is coming to John through these eyes of fire, right? You remember that? We just read about these eyes of fire that he has, and Jesus is speaking with these eyes of fire. Now, this is not necessarily eyes of fire that's going to burn them up, Although this is eyes of fire that represent judgment, but it's also these eyes of fire, these eyes of passion. One translation renders these eyes of fire as eyes that will almost see right through you. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever talked with somebody that as they're talking to you, they look deep into you. They look deep inside of you. They can listen as they're listening to you. They're really really listening and deciphering deep down what the serious uh, need and issue is all the way down to the heart. Um, you, know what, you know what I mean, where someone can just really hear exactly what's going on inside your heart more than just what your words are. You ever had somebody like that in your life that, that they're talking to you and then they pull you aside and they say, okay, now tell me what's really going on, right? 
And that's what Jesus is basically, that's these eyes of fire that he's actually looking past. He's burning through all the superficiality of what all of the things that they're dealing with and going through and done good, not good. And he's going all the way down into the heart of who they are. And this is why he says, but nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, this is not high school sweetheart, Jimmy and Jill over there. Okay? This is not what he's talking about. He's saying, you've left your first love, but remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. For he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Very interesting things that he tells them are promises and things that he says are are, um, are a little bit of, of constructive criticism, if we want to call it that, right? Um, there's some judgment being handed down here. There's some attaboys, pats on the back being handed down here. But we're going to talk about all of this meshed together and what all this means and why he's talking about all of these things to, the, to uh, this church here in Ephesus. Right now, let's just take some time. Let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer asking him to give us an ear to hear what he wants to say. Father God, we, we need you, Lord. Lord, we recognize, God, we recognize that there is so much happening right now. We recognize that there are people that have gone through so much and are continuing to go through so much. People, Lord, that are weighed down, bogged down by emotions and depressions and worries and fears, bogged down by stresses and grief and anxieties. God, we are, we are inundated with so much information and so much stuff, so many problems, so many things. It's like it's in our face all the time. It's like it's in the back of our mind and therefore settling in our heart all the time. So God, we ask you to do something miraculous tonight. We ask you to, through those eyes of fire, look past all of those other issues and get down to the real, true issue of our heart in this day and in this time. Where is this really coming from and what is really going on? Burn past all of the superficial and get down to the true. The truth and the identity of who we are in you. Father, we need you and we ask you to anoint our hearts to receive the word of God. Anoint our ears to hear what you would say. Anoint our minds to begin to comprehend what is greater and what is higher and what is more than we'd ever realized before. 
God, I believe with everything in me, you're speaking to the churches today. And I have a feeling you're echoing what you've already said here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, sorry, as a long prayer. It's almost a Washtenaw Baptist prayer. <laughs> Y'all awake? Y'all okay? Okay. All right. So here we have Ephesus, a literal metropolis at this day and at this time. Some estimate a, a, a population of anywhere between 200,000 and 500,000 people living in this area. So in this day, in this time, if you will, it is a New York City kind of, uh, of area, New York City kind of city. It, it really is. It, it was very eclectic. It had a lot of different uh, viewpoints, it had a lot of different backgrounds, it had a lot of different philosophies, it had a lot of different religions, it had a, a whole lot of the different everything all coming together. This was a major, major port city in what is now modern day Turkey. Uh, it is a major port city. In fact, uh, uh, most of the things that had were coming into then, when we read this, Rome, a lot of them were coming through this port city. This port city was absolutely connected to probably the entire known world at this time. This was a major central hub for commerce, for, uh, for, for goods, for services, for uh, major banks. There, were major, there was a major library here. There was, there was so much going on in this quite influential and quite powerful city. In fact, uh, some scholars have actually said that this would, could have competed for one of the most important cities in all of Rome. Uh, so much so that actually uh, Domitian, who was the emperor at the time following Nero, uh, Domitian had a had a court, had a building, had a spot to stay right here. Uh, not every city had that. Not every city could boast the fact that they could house the emperor. They could house Caesar. Uh, they could house in their eyes, now listen to me, God. Because in that day, he was. Uh, that The emperor, he was not just God, but he was high and mighty God. He was the highest in rank, highest in order of gods. In fact, if you were to, in that day, rewind and go all the way back to that time, somewhere around 80 to 90 A.D., and that you were to float into the harbor there at Ephesus, you would look upon the highest hill, and as you look up upon the highest hill in Ephesus in that metropolis of a town, metropolis of a city, you would look up and you would actually see uh, a statue, if you will, of all of the other deities and gods that they believe in holding up the highest, and that would be actually Domitian himself. What an image that he's trying to get across to everybody who is in that city 
that on the highest place there are all of the gods, but above all of the gods and the deities they believe in, there is him. And they're all holding him up as if to say he is in the highest rank. In fact, there were certain times in which um, most of the, the Caesars, the emperors, most of them would actually publicly make people declare homage to him that he is God. And other than Nero himself, Domitian is probably one of the cruelest when it comes to persecution against Christianity. One of the cruelest. He was, he, he was, extremely, uh, he was extremely hung on the fact that they are worshiping something not him, or in our case, what we believe, someone other than him. And he takes it very personal. I'm thinking he may have been short. I don't know. Because it's almost like he had this short man syndrome. I don't know. He almost had this little man syndrome. Because also, as you, walk, as you float into the harbor, there is a 50-foot statue of him. there holding his arm up in victory. The Bible is, is, that's not new news to the Scripture. That's not anything new to what God's people have had to deal with. Uh, let, let's rewind way thousands of years before that to a place where a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar was in charge. And he has, uh, he has exiled the, the people of God. They're into Babylon. And now the people of God, he's sorted out and he's kept the ones that he, he's wanted. Some of those that he has wanted is, are those like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel. Um, and he's kept them to train them to be people that he could use for his good, his glory, and his kingdom. And he has at a certain time decided that, well, it's not good enough just to call myself a god and a deity. Uh, it's not good enough just to have people come and kiss my hand. I want everybody in the land at certain times when they hear music to bow down and worship me. And so since I can't always be everywhere at all times, I'm going to erect this huge golden statue, this huge, huge golden image. And anytime that people hear the music playing, they have to stop what they're doing and bow down to me. Many of you remember that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they decided, nope, I'm not going to do this. There's only one that they bow down to. There's only one that they, that they believe is God. And of course, we know they get in trouble for it, right? They get caught. They, uh, they kind of get away with it for a little while, but then all of a sudden they do get caught because they are in the, the ranks of the government and they get pulled aside and they said, okay, now, Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, now listen, boys. I know you really didn't mean it that, that way, but it's coming across a little bit like you don't really totally believe that I'm God, right? I know, it's, I know that I'm going to give you this second chance, and, and I know that we're going to see eye to eye in this. And in this second chance, I just want you to know that when you hear the music play, I need you to, to go ahead and bow down to me like everybody else. Because you see, if you don't do that, then it could start something. It could start somebody else believing. It, it could influence some other people. So I'm going to mash you down and I'm going to pressure you down. And I'm even going to throw a little bit of fear at you by saying, if you don't do it, well, you see that big fireplace back there where we roast the big pigs, right? You're going to be thrown into that. 
You're going to be thrown into the huge oven if you don't do this. And I love how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I love how they reply to this. Because they reply to this in a way that is a whole lot deeper than what most people realize. They reply by saying, King, recognize your king. Okay? And I recognize you have authority here. But you're not God. That there is one over you. And that he is able to save us from whatever it is you put us through. But then they go on to say, but even if he's not, we still worship the one true God. Now listen to the relationship that they have. That there is no fear there. Now not to say that they weren't a little bit scared, a little bit nervous. I mean, everybody's heart would probably be beating a little bit fast if you're facing that. Not to say that they weren't a little bit nervous, but to say that there was something that overcame that fear. There was something that rose up way above that fear. Something that took a grasp and a hold of their spirit and their heart and raised it up above fear. And I believe it is this, perfect love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And as if they were saying, I, I love my God. <laughs> I'm not just bowing to Him because it's something that I have to do three times a day. I'm not just praying to Him because I'm hoping to rub His belly in a way where He's going to give me some good luck. I'm not just, just dancing around His fire just so that I hope that I can get something from Him. I love my God. I've spent time knowing Him. I've spent time with Him. I've spent time listening. I've spent time talking. I know my God. I know we've been through a mess. Do you understand? They've just come through exile. Now y'all know why I'm going to have a hard time getting through Revelation, right? They've just, come through, they've just come through exile. If anybody had a reason to gripe and whine and pout and complain, they did. They lost everything. They watched their homes be burned. They watched some of their families die by the sword. They got thrown in shackles and chains and marched across thousands of miles to get to where they are. And here they are now in a season where they could be griping and whining and complaining because they did not get the fairness of life that they thought that they deserved. But instead of that, they took time to love God even more. Because they recognized that that was probably the root of the problem in the first place. That's probably what got us all in trouble in Israel in the first place. That we were just trying to do some of these laws and commands just good enough just good enough to scoot by. Just good enough to pass the test. Right? Just good enough that I kind of get God off my back for a little bit. And let me move on to my next, what I want out of life. Right? Just good enough. I could stop right there for a second and probably take a good long look at my own heart. I'm going to leave, leave y'all alone, and I'm going to stomp on me. And I can honestly say there have been times in my life when I was doing the will of God just because something I had to do. Didn't always start out like that. 
didn't always feel like that, but there were seasons of that where I felt like I'm doing what I got to do when I got to do it because I got to do it. We all go through seasons like that. We all go through moments like that. Herein is now fast forward again. Thousands of years later, here is this church at Ephesus. And God says, Christ says, attaboy. Good job. You've done some great things. You have stood up for what is right. You've stood up for what's right. And if as a church, that's, as a body of believers, that's probably what we need to do, right? Right, right? We need to stand up for what's right. And you, and you say, well, what's right in the middle of all of this controversy? Um, maybe what this says? Amen. Right. Maybe what the Bible says? Maybe what God says? Mm-hmm. Um, not what a certain denomination says, but what the Bible says? Maybe not so much what somebody's interpretation says, but go back to truthfully, truly what Scripture says. Maybe even not always what everybody in power says, but go back to what Scripture says. I I try to keep my life simple. And when all else fails and I don't know what to do, I say, all right, God, what, what do I do? And I go to your word, and I go to your will, and I go to your way. Which, by the way, is the meaning of the word prophecy. Remember in Revelation chapter 1, how there is this promise that says, if you read this prophecy, you will be blessed. That word prophecy is actually two Greek words put together. Pro and phemi. Forth and to speak. So to speak forth. And really, speaking forth does not necessarily always mean predictive. And I know that's a lot of times what we think of when we think of prophecy, right? We think of somebody's going to predict the future, right? Uh, And and we read the book of Revelation, and and a lot of us look at it like, oh, that's the future predicted. And in some ways, yes, in a big way, it is. But that's not really the heart of what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation is... Prophecy, which means to speak forth or to have a sense of telling and interpreting and declaring the will and the counsel and the word of God. That's really what a prophet is, or a prophetess is, or someone who speaks on behalf of God. And that's really what Jesus was talking about when he says, when the Spirit's going to come on you, you're going to receive power. And we know that through the book of Joel, through the types and the shadows and all this coming forth and them speaking, he says, my sons and my daughters shall what? They shall prophesy. Now that doesn't mean they all become fortune tellers. Right? Um, what that means is, is that you become the voice and the vocal cords and the mouthpiece of God Almighty Himself to a world who cannot hear His Word because men love darkness rather than light. Okay? 
they get caught up in their own wills and the world, the, the will of the world, the will of the uh, of the census and the populace, the, the will of the government, the will of this, the will of that, the will of what I want versus what you want. The will, the will, all of these things get all jumbled up, and then God, what God says, but I have some men and women, some young men, some young women that I have empowered to stand up in the middle of all of that, like a lampstand, and declare this is the will of God. That's why it's so important. I know this is a preacher thing to say, but guess what? You're going to hear it anyways. Okay? That's why it's so important to get the Word of God deep down in your heart. Amen. So it's so important. Um, you, you just, you, you've got to get to where you love His Word. You've got to get to where you just love His Word. And I realize that's hard sometimes. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I've been waking up a lot at 3 o'clock in the morning. I get a little sleepy about 4.30 when it comes to reading the Word of God. And, uh, and, and I get it, okay? But you do have to get to the point where you love His Word. Okay? You just got to love His Word, okay? Back to it, God says, boy, you stood up for what's right. You stood up for what's right. You persevered. You stood in the midst of chaos and you stood tall and you stood strong. He's not saying don't do that. He's saying good job for that. That's good. That's good. You worked hard. He said you labored hard. And you didn't just labor hard for no reason. You labored for God's glory. You labored for the kingdom of God. And you haven't become weary in that. Way to go. Because there are a lot of people that have become weary in well-doing and they fall by the wayside. It's easy. As a pastor, I see it all the time. Unfortunately, I do see it all the time. But here's the good news. Mercy. Mercy and grace allows us at any point in time to turn and come back to Him. Because that's where we hear these words that a lot of people hear incorrectly these days. They hear the word repent and they get offended. I don't have to repent. I don't want to repent. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? Um, God's not really big into whether or not He offends you. Sorry. It doesn't... God is actually willing to offend you if it means he can get deep inside of you and get down to the heart and the issue. You know, some of us need to be offended every once in a while. I get offended every time I step on the scale. Oh, I do. I get offended at that bad boy. And I stepped on the other morning and said, to be continued. I drop kicked it. Okay. That offended me, right? But it was the truth. Sometimes... The truth is offensive. And we've done so well at covering it up that that's why we don't like to be offended because somebody has dug down in there what I've covered up. And God's not, sometimes He's willing to offend you if it means that He's wanting something greater out of you than just, than just a, a, a feel-good moment. He wants your soul and your heart for eternity. And if eternity is worth a little bit of an offense, then make me uncomfortable, Lord. Make me, that's it, I mean, 
God has made me uncomfortable multiple times. Right? Type amen or raise your hand if he's done you the same thing. Okay, you mean, you mean he's treated us all the same, right? So God busts in and says, repent. That doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean I'm about to burn you in the rear end with a lightning bolt. What it means is, hey, wake up and come back to reality. Let's have a little change of heart here. And what do you mean by change of heart? And that's what he, calls, that's what he goes into next. He says, but nevertheless, there's, there's, a, there's a heart issue here. Your, your hands and your feet are doing great, but your heart is not working properly. Okay? You know, your, your hands can grip fine. Your, your, your feet can get up and walk across the room fine. You don't stumble. You, you, don't, you don't drop stuff. You, you, you got dexterity. You, you're, you're doing good. You're, you're working. That's great, but you've got a heart issue. And I'm, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm, rather, I'm more concerned with my hands and my feet than my heart. Don't worry about it, Lord. Don't worry about it, doctor. Right? My hands and feet work fine, so don't look at my heart. Don't worry about it. Is that how it works? <laughs> What the doctor knows is that your hands and your feet may work fine now, but if it's, we don't correct this issue now, then at some point in time your hands and your feet aren't going to work. They are going to fail you. And it's my goal to keep you from failing for as long as possible. Why? Because I want you to be an influence. This was a major church in Ephesus. This was a major church. If you read, we don't have time to go there, but if you read Acts chapter 19, you will see the birth of Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Uh, you'll see this, was, this happened before he wrote, before Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, before he wrote to them this letter that he wanted them to get. So there you go. I challenge you in your own spare time. Those of you that have told me, I want to know how to go deeper in the Word of God, go to Acts chapter 19 and see the birth of Ephesus, or the church at Ephesus. How it started with, with Apostle Paul coming into the harbor and meeting up with a few believers. Just, just a few believers, three or four at first, ends up being twelve a few believers, and they're ta he's talking to, you got to understand, because there's Jewish people here, there's all kinds of, I mean, there's, from every known race is here, okay? It's a metropolis. And so he's talking to them, and they're still caught up in, th this group of people is still caught up in John's baptism, Okay, they're still caught up in as if they haven't had this fullness come into, come into their life yet. And so they, they say, well, we've repented and we've had John's baptism. And they actually say, is there anything more? And he says, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they say, well, we haven't even heard about any of this stuff before. Hit me, what is it? And so he baptizes them in Jesus' name. And the Bible says when they come up, he lays hands on them. And then they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And signs and wonders begin to come forth in their life right then and there. And the Bible says actually from that point on, those 12 people plus Apostle Paul goes into the synagogue. And they try for six months to teach and preach in the Jewish synagogue to no avail. Makes me feel a little bit better whenever I feel like uh, God. I feel like sometimes I'm not getting getting it across. Um, God says, "Don't worry about that. You, you plant the seed. You water. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that." 
Okay, Move, moving forward, it didn't work there. So he went into this temple of Tyrannus, and for some scholar, I've heard scholars say for four to six hours every day, he preaches with these twelve men out in the public square, right outside of this temple to Tyrannus. Four to six hours. Y'all thought I was long-winded. For four to six hours, he's preaching and he's teaching the Word of God. And he begins to get people to change their hearts and change their lives. He begins to get people to see. And if you go back and read, I challenge you, when you go back and read, read what he's preaching to them. It's not a complicated message. It's not a complicated message. Here's the message. God is God. <laughs> Christ is God. Not, not Caesar, not, not Domitian, not... Uh, Artemis, not all, Diana, not, not, all, not any of these other uh, deities. Jesus is God. Right. Jesus is God. What a contrast. Because if you speak about Domitian being God, he's high and mighty, he can't even be reached. But Jesus came here and he reached us. They didn't, Domitian didn't give his life for his followers, his people, but Jesus did. Perfect love cast out fear. And so as Paul is preaching, and the Bible says there were miracles and wonders, and people were changing their life, and um, in fact, at one point in time, I think I'm, I think I'm quoting this correctly, but at one point in time, the Bible says that, that there were so many people that were uh, magicians and sorcerers and, and into that occult stuff that they had books upon books upon books of this stuff that they all came and had a public book burning and they burned all of their occult material, all of their, uh, their, 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 their religious material, their paganistic religious material, and they burned it all. And the Bible says uh, it was... It was like 50,000, the value was like 50,000 pieces of silver or something like that. I looked it up and it would equate to over a million dollars worth today. That this, this, this was a mighty moving church. Okay, this was not just two or three people in a hole in a wall. Even though we're two or three people are gathered together in my name, God is there, and God can do mighty things with that. But this is not just that. This is, a, this is an influential, growing church. And they're doing great works. But he says, but I need you to do something for me. I need you to come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. Sometimes it's not always what you do, but it's how and why you do it. Um, anybody who has ever been married knows that. Amen? <laughs> you know, if... if and, and I've got uh, such a wonderful wife that is... She's actually, uh, we've had some long talks lately, and you know, she's, she's seen how I've, since 16, 17, 18 years old, not only have I tried to youth pastor and pastor, but I've also worked two or three, sometimes four jobs at a time, just trying to keep my, my preaching habit going. 
But she's looked at me and she says, it's time. It's time for you to, it's time for you to do the church work mostly. And so she stepped up and she's had more piano students. She's taken on more and more of that to help me with this. And in so doing, I, of course, try to help all that I can. And, um, and so I do, a lot of the, I do a lot of the cooking because a lot of times she's actually teaching piano while I'm cooking. Um, I also get to lick the bowl that way. <laughs> right? I have my motives. <laughs> but it would be one thing if I just told her that I, I like to, I, I'm going to cook, period, whether you like it or not, I'm, I'm cooking. Right? That's one thing. The, the, the meal is still done. It's still done in the same way. It's probably just about the same. Um, it's still going to get accomplished. But the heart behind it is, is off. And so as the heart is behind it is off, it actually, in the, in the meeting and the eating of the meal, we're actually going to be growing further apart. Maybe step by step, little by little. But that's really what God is saying, what, what Jesus is saying to his church. He's saying, hey, the marriage needs a little love returned to it. Amen. This is like a marriage without love here. Yeah, you're not divorced and you're going through the motions and you're coming home and you're coming home and you're sleeping in the same bed, although it's, you're getting further and further apart and, and you don't talk that much and you just kind of, Jimmy's looking at you, Jim. Be careful, y'all. <laughs> um, he's saying that it's like a marriage without really love there. It's cold. It's missing the point. It's missing the, the heart behind it. I hope I'm not getting any, parent, any, any people in trouble. <laughs> Y'all okay? <laughs> right? Take her out for ice cream tonight. Just take her out for ice cream. Right? Go, go, go do it. <laughs> um, Jesus is saying you're doing good on on what you're doing, but, but why you're doing it is a little off. And that would be the same thing. Let's give another analogy, and I'll wrap on up with some more stuff here. But another analogy would be, okay, I went to college, and I'm, I'm in college, and I'm doing fine at passing my tests, but there's no real drive as to what I'm going to do or be when I get out of there. Uh, I can do really well at just poking in the information and throwing it out there on the paper. But that's not going to help me a bit when I get out in the real world. Right? You're doing real well. Good job. In fact, you even, you even he said... And God uses some strong language here. He says, you've hated the Nicolaitans, which I do as well. Whew, that must be really bad. That must be really bad to be in that group. What is that group? Well, after doing some study, I've actually found out that the word Nicolaitan is actually not necessarily a person by the name of, uh, uh, of Nikolai, even though it really does go back to Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. Again, if you want to go back to there, you can. There was a man by the name of Nicholas, or Nikolai, 
who was a convert from Ephesus, most likely. We know that he was a convert from the, the, the Greeks, the Greek beliefs, the Greek system. He was a convert into Judaism. So he was already, he was kind of raised in this paganistic viewpoint, a paganistic way of looking at things, and religiously. Then he gets converted to Judaism. Okay. Well, then in Acts chapter 6 and 5, he's actually just before that, he gets converted to Christianity. And he's actually named one of the main and first deacons of the church. So he's actually, at beginning, he's, he's actually, he's got all of it down. He knows how to pass the church test. He knows how to, he knows how to mark the boxes correctly. He knows how to smile and shake hands the way that you're supposed to in church. He knows how to pat people on the back and he knows how to sound real good and look real good. He, he knows how to, how to dress. He knows how to walk. He knows how to talk. He's, he's got all of this down. But then all of a sudden, he starts raising up people who are believing they're superior to everyone else in the church because he thinks that it's not just Christianity, but it's also Christianity and Judaism. And it's not just Christianity and Judaism, but it's also some of the paganistic beliefs that I used to believe in. I think that they all have good qualities, so let's mash them all together. And let's make this Unitarian style of belief. And a lot of people will shake their head at that and go, well, that's horrible. But you got to remember, in that day in, in Ephesus, in that time, there was this, this called the Agora or the marketplace, which was, which was just, it was like a mall on steroids, right? Uh, a little better than our mall, just a little bit, right? <laughs> Hope y'all don't come again. All right. There's just a mall on steroids here where it's just, it is the hubbub. It is the central hub of everybody doing everything. When you wanted to go out and do something, you went through the marketplace. It was the social fit. It was, it was, everything was found mostly there. And not far from there was, was a, a theater or an amphitheater that would house, you know, twenty to 30,000 people at least. That's huge back in that day. I mean, that's a stadium. Uh, not far from there is the Temple of Artemis or Diana. Uh, that was the main god or goddess's main deity of that, that, that city. Um, she's the god of fertility and the god, goddess of fertility, goddess of life. Um, she, you have to look her up. Look, look her up. Google her. She's, she's well endowed. She's got like 50 breasts, I think, up front because there's, there's, I'm, man, I've gone everywhere tonight. Y'all okay? This is Wednesday night. This is rough, y'all. Y'all okay? She is, she, she is viewed as this, this grand goddess of fertility and life. And, and she's got, literally, her temple is bigger than a football field, uh, just the temple to her. And uh, they have this, this belief that if you can please her in a way, then you will be fruitful and multiply. You will, so you can imagine their worship services. Or, y'all know what I'm, I'll stop there, <laughs> sort of. But you can imagine what goes on, okay? And quite literally, I think it's in May, uh, she, uh, in her, on her birthday, they all have this huge drunken party 
accompanied with other things. And they actually take a statue of her and they take her down to the water and they, they baptize her, literally. They put her in the water and they bring her back up so that she will become a virgin again. And then they take her and they put her back up in the temple, the statue back there. They there and then, at the, then after they put that back there, they go into some major celebrations. Okay? Major celebrations. Use your imagination. It probably didn't come close. Even your imagination, I promise you, does not come close from some of the things that I've read. I'll keep it rated at that. <laughs> we'll keep it PG-13 rated tonight. Um, but that was the main goddess and the main deity. Well, to go into the agora, to go into the marketplace, you actually had to burn incense and pay homage to the emperor. There, there was a constant incense always burning in the, all of the entranceways. So, you know, when those automatic doors come open, there's, you walk in, there's this, this incense burning. So you have to take some of the incense and you have to pay homage and say, basically, see, uh, Domitian is God. And you throw that in the incense and it burns. And then you can go on in and, man, you can have a good time in the marketplace. You can buy, you can sell, you can, you can hook up socially, you can... Do anything you want right there. It's great. Then from there you can go on to this temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And you can go, and, but, but to do that you've got to pay homage to all of this. You've got, to, you've got to declare. If you want a good life, then you get to go up to that temple. right? If you want a, if you want a good life, you've got to go do it in the marketplace. So you've got to pay homage. And so it's possible, quite possible, that you've got a group of people who say, you know what? It's all right to do some of that stuff. It's okay. It's okay. And they actually come from the, the a Greek Gnostic belief system that says what you do in the body doesn't matter because the only thing that matters is your soul. And that's the only thing that's going to live on. So once you've let your soul be taken care of, right? then you can do whatever you want in the body. That really doesn't matter. That was their belief. It was a Gnostic belief. And so, y'all looking at me like, you might know a world that's doing kind of some of the same stuff. Right? Right? And here comes the Apostle Paul, and he's telling them, listen, everything you do matters. Amen. And then here comes Jesus saying, wait a minute, it's not just everything you do matters, it's why you do them that matters. This is the same Jesus that goes all the way back to the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mountain. He says, if you have lust for a woman just by looking at her, you've already committed adultery. He's saying why you do things matters. These Nicolaitans had this thought that you can do whatever you want as long as you, you know, somewhat believe in, in, in Christ or in God. Like, and unfortunately, uh-oh, there have been seasons in my life where I thought, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, I'm covered, I'm all right. And God had to wake me up. Say, you, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And the point is this. 
When you lose the heart, you lose the influence. You ever had a teacher or a, or a coach or somebody over you who knew they were over you and you could tell that their, their heart really wasn't in it? Right? Didn't get a whole lot out of that, did you? Maybe some negative stuff. When the heart's not there, you can tell. And if you look closely, and we're about to we're running out of time, so we can't go to Smyrna. I just like that name. But if you look at a lot of the things that the churches are going through, it's kind of some of the same stuff. There is this very serious paganistic worldview that thinks that Christians are extremely narrow-minded. And as they are extremely narrow-minded, though, they don't know what to do with them because they are extremely effective. If you read in Acts chapter 19, a riot ensues because the Apostle Paul has become so effective at preaching the gospel. And so many people are starting to turn to Christ that they're stopping, they're, they're, they quit buying little statues, the little silver statues of goddess Artemis. And so these people that are making money off of selling idols and little statues, they get together and say, this ain't right, we're going under. And so they ensue and start a riot to try to knock the Christians out. And then, thankfully, the government actually steps in and says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a better, civil, more civil way to do this. And he actually stops the rioting, and then he says, take them to court, and then we'll work on it there. It never happened. The epicenter of Christianity, in some cases, became Ephesus. And that's crazy to me because it's probably one of the places they were persecuted the hardest. And yet it is one of the places that God moved the most. The greatest. John that's, moves here. That's why he gets sent to Patmos. Okay? Jesus' mother Mary moves here. There's still to this day, there's a spot that says this is where she lived. In Ephesus. It becomes this epicenter of Christianity and this epicenter of seeing God move, even though it was an epicenter of ideas and arts and philosophies and religions. But it was almost like this, this hotbed was made for Christianity to rise above all of the others. It's almost like God was saying, I'm not scared of all these other deities. <laughs> I know, they, I know they threaten, but I'm not scared. Remember, I got feet like brass. I've walked in the fire before. I'll do it again, right? I'm not worried about them. In fact, he goes on and he says something very, in the very end of this. And I've said I've wrapped up seven times. I get one more, right? Um, he says something very interesting at the very end of, of this letter to Ephesus. I want you to go back and read this again. Uh, verse 7, Revelation 2 and 7. Oh man, there's like ten more things I want to discuss tonight. But. but the Bible says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now that first and foremost is a direct reference because in that day and in that time there were, there were places and people called oracles. 
Um, oracles are people in places that, that speak on behalf of the gods. If you want to know what to do, you would go to these oracles and then they would ask a certain god and do a certain thing, twist a certain way, give up a certain thing, do this, do that. And then they could say, well, this certain god says to do this. If you need your crops to do better, we're going to talk to this god, right? If you need more children or you don't have children, we're going to talk to this God. If you need health, we're going to talk to this God. And so these oracles were in charge of, of, of kind of being the, the, uh, the bridge between the gods and people, right? The translators, if you will. And these oracles were very powerful. Like they would literally also do some miraculous stuff. And if you read back in the book of in the book of Acts, chapter nineteen, you will see that it's witchcraft, and it's it's black magic, it's witchcraft, and there there was there was some power there. In fact, you've ever heard of the son, the, the the term seven sons of Sceva? That's in that day, and where there are there were some Jewish people. Trying to cast, they were they were trying to cast demons out of people in Ephesus, but they were trying to do so in Jesus' name because they were watching Paul and it was working for Paul. So they stepped up and they said, "Well, it's working for him. Let's use that name." The heart wasn't there; the action was, and they actually go up to a guy or there's some people and they say, "Hey, we cast you out in the name of Jesus," and the demon speaks out. And says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul we know, and Jesus we know. But you, you have no authority. Why? Because they weren't, it wasn't their heart. There was no influence, there was no impact, because their heart was not in it. And so the Bible says that actually the demons jumped on them and gave them a little bit of a lashing and actually stripped them down and made them run naked out of town. Ephesus was a crazy place, y'all. Like, what happens in Ephesus? <laughs> there was some, I say that seriously. There was some seriously, there was some, there was some big stuff happening. There was some scary stuff happening. There was some very real spiritual warfare happening. No wonder why Ephesians chapter 6 says, put on your armor because you are wrestling against principalities and powers in high places he's literally talking about the oracles he's literally talking about the these idol worship and paganistic worship that is going on and you know what we've got some high places today we've got some very self-centered selfish self-absorbed narcissistic high places in this world today and that's not just flesh and bone that you're wrestling against Put on your armor. So when he says, he that has an ear to hear, what he's saying is, is that you don't even need an oracle. Listen to me. Listen to me. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life that's in the midst of the paradise of God. Listen to what he is saying. A little bit of history is outside of the temple of Artemis, there was a huge tree. And there, were, it, there was a lot of people that believed that you could go to that tree and pray to Artemis through the tree. You could even touch the tree and rub it the right way, do this, get a leaf and burn it and smell it the right way. You could do all of these things and then and impossible.
favor and then gain what it is you're looking for out of life. But Jesus steps in and says, there is a tree of life. Oh, I wish I had time to go all the way back to the book of Genesis where the tree of life was there. And the tree of life was then, they were cut off from the tree of life until somebody hung on a tree and gave his life on a tree. Say amen if you get me. And he's saying that and while he's hanging on that tree of his life is being poured out, his life is given for us like bread and like wine. And he looks to the one beside him and he says, truly, because you believe in me, you'll be with me in paradise. And Jesus is saying, I recognize there's this big religious to do. And everybody's rubbing on this tree. But if you hit your heart behind it, if you go back to your first love, if you do these things because you love me and not just because you're supposed to do them, if you come back to really loving me as the why of all of it, then I'm going to give you more than just the ability to touch the tree you're going to get to eat from this tree. And yes, he is talking about eventually the paradise we're going to, to be in. I am going to do a cannonball in that crystal sea so big. He's talking about that. But he's also backing up and he's saying the type and the shadow at first is that I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to give you this relationship with me that's going to reinstate paradise in your life. I'm going to take you back to where you were supposed to be in the garden, walking with me, talking with me, having a relationship with me, knowing me. I'm going to restore that back with you. He says, if you don't do this, if you don't repent, I will take the, this is serious. He said, I will snuff out the lampstand. I will remove it. What he's saying is, is you're not going to be, you're not going to be able to have an impact or an influence as a church. He's talking to the whole church. He's not just talking to one person. He's talking to the whole church. He said, your church will lose its influence. He says that over and over and over in all the churches. You don't lose your influence. Don't lose the impact. And how do you make an impact? How do you make an impact? How do we make an impact? How does the church make an impact? You come back to your first love. And you stay there. And you do works because of that and not works to get to that. Does that make sense? All right? I kept y'all 12 minutes over. Y'all okay? All right. Next week, we'll go over Smyrna. Might try to get more in. I don't know. We'll see. Depends on how much goodies I can drag up on Smyrna. All right. I hope you enjoyed this. But the, the main thing I want you to take home is the same thing that Jesus wanted that church to take home. Is that this doesn't do any good if your heart's not in it. Really. And if you're struggling with that, this is not a condemnation. 
if you struggle with that, because I've done, I've been through seasons where I felt burned out and I felt tired and I felt wore out and I was just going through the motions. It's not a condemnation. This is an invitation. Jesus saying, come back to me. I'm here for you. I'm ready. The tree of life is welcoming you back. Come back to me. Come back. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we love you. Forgive me for all of the times, God, that I was just going through the motions. God, forgive me. Forgive me, God, that my, my hands and feet were there, but my heart was not. If ever there was a time and if ever there was a season where the church needed to be labeled by what's in its heart, it's now. Father, I pray that you begin to circumcise our heart. I pray that you begin to take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh again. I pray, God, that you begin to do a work at a heart level as we begin to return back to you. Lord, the only way I know how to say it is that I'm sorry and I come back to you. Lord, as a church and as a nation, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, for making it about things other than you. I'm sorry that there were times I wanted to make it more about a performance than I wanted it about a heart condition. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us as a church. Forgive us as a nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.